0: Hello, and welcome to the BV Magazine podcast, your slice of genuine Dorset rural life. This is the second episode for August 2022. I'm Jenny Devitt. And hello
1: from me, Terry Bennett.
0: And in this second episode, we'll hear Councillor Laura Beddo's choice of Dorset Island discs.
1: We hear about a young Dorset woman whose sausages are creating quite a sizzle.
0: And we hear about the excellent CERN Abba stores run by Jen Daly and Ken Pete.
1: Simon Hoare MP offers us his views on the part the media plays in influencing political change.
0: Ken Huggins of the North Dorset Green Party says, whatever you do,
1: don't look up. Mike Chapman laments the creation of economic disequilibrium here in Dorset.
0: And North Dorset Labour's Pat Osborne talks about Blandford Town's drop in the ocean.
1: And Roger Guttridge recounts the tale of the quiet woman. Think bins and museums and you've got me, Dorset Island Discs, an interview by Laura Hitchcock. Councillor Laura Beddo covers the ward of West Purbeck, about as far as you can get from the Blackmore Vale while still staying in Dorset. But she's also in the Dorset Council Cabinet and is portfolio holder for Culture, Communities and Customer Services. And if, like me, you have no idea what that actually is, Laura's happy to explain. Just think museums and bins and you've got
0: it. It's basically anything that the public will directly use. It's such a varied remit. I deal with parish and town councils. The protection of the razor clam beds off West Bay. All household waste and recycling. Actually, I'm a completely boring recycling nerd now the arts development company and did you know that dorset is the only council in the country that works with an arts company to deliver its cultural strategy records and archives no days the same that's for sure
1: among local politics laura's known as a straight talker sometimes causing ripples as she cuts to the heart of issues and focuses on finding solutions i feel like it's just really important for us as a council to
0: translate the local government speak for residents. That's literally our job. Instead of sending out two pages of information about refreshing the library strategy, what people really want to know is, are there any changes to opening hours or staffing? Are there any
1: closures? And that's it. In an interesting, wide-ranging and often off-topic conversation, I discovered that her fantasy cabinet to run the country would include Optimus Prime as Secretary of State for Transport. I mean, he's literally a lorry. He totally understands the brief. And Martin Lewis as Chancellor. When Laura's not out admiring the inner workings of the council's recycling technology, she'll be found at home looking after the menagerie of broken animals.
0: Current count is three rescue dogs a rescue tortoise, some rescue rabbits, and uh, there's often a broken limpy parrot in the house.
1: Laura's not joking. She has an aviary in the garden and works with Birdline Parrot Rescue, taking in rescued parrots and nursing them back to health. Along the way, she gets sidetracked by non-parrot rescues. A friend recently handed over a baby dormouse, which she had to feed with an eyedropper, and a dodgy-footed seagull named Stephen has just been released.
0: I just seem to collect random animals. We stick them in a safe place, feed and look after them, and then release them when they're ready.
1: And so to Laura's eight music choices, along with how and why they stuck in her life. The first one, A Case of You by Joni Mitchell.
0: Well, come on now. Why wouldn't you? Frankly, it could have been any Joni Mitchell song. I love her. She's she's incredible. But this one in particular, I know it's a breakup song, but it's the ultimate love song too. raise your glass by pink. This one's a sad one for me, despite the fact that it's so aggressive and life affirming because nearly 10 years ago, my daughter was diagnosed with leukemia as a terminally ill child. She was offered a wish and she chose to go and see pink in concert at the O2 in London. It was a brilliant special night. What an incredible show it was. She's such a great performing artist, not just a terrific singer. When Issy died, her friends were really struggling. We decided we wouldn't have a funeral, and instead we'd have a memorial party with balloons and sweets and music. Now, I'm not religious at all, but our local vicar was fabulous, and she wore a spotty onesie and silver wellies to take the service. This is mine and Issy's song, and of course, we played it that day.
1: Under the Bridge, the Red Hot Chili Peppers.
0: This is just me as a young teenager, that age when you're starting to work out who you are, what you're going to be about. My friends were all in bands, and we were the grungy kids getting into Nirvana, painting our Doc Martins. This was the song all my friends learned, and we went to grotty little gigs at local youth clubs, and it was completely beautiful. I saw the chilies recently with my own 20-year-old, and they're still amazing. I could have picked any chili song, really, But this one in particular is just my grungy little teenager heart.
1: Brooks Violin Concerto No. 1, Movement 3
0: I started playing the violin at the age of five. I wasn't brilliant, so I switched to the viola, because I worked out that viola players are more rare, so you can get away with being less good. I joined the Dorset Youth Orchestra, and I was a total band geek. My granddad's name was, genuinely, Ivor Head. And he loved this piece of music. When I was about eight, I got to see Nigel Kennedy play during his amazing punk classic era. The concert was brilliant. It opened my eyes to the fact that classical music could be fun and cool. And he played this piece. I queued up afterwards to get his autograph and asked him to sign my ticket for my granddad, who would have loved to hear him play, but was just too poorly to go to the concert. Nigel Kennedy asked what my granddad's name was. And when I told him, he tore the ticket in half and wrote... I have a half a ticket from Nigel Kennedy.
1: My Immortal by Evanescence.
0: I just really like this. Amy Lee has such an amazing voice, so otherworldly. Sorry, there's no big story to share with this one. I just love it.
1: Far From Home, The Levelers.
0: This is all about that fiddle playing. The Levelers always show me the life I thought I would have as a teenager... An itinerant wanderer, sitting around a campfire, playing the fiddle and drinking cider. And now, I'm a Tory politician. Didn't quite pan out, did it? But a part of me still believes I could actually do this. The Storm,
1: Tanya Donnelly.
0: Another amazing voice from the 90s. And really, it's the evolution of the Joni Mitchell track. It's another breakup song, but aren't they actually the ultimate love songs? But it's amazing. The lyrics are so carefully chosen and placed... It's casual, slightly ethereal, and yet it's so well-constructed. I have an absolute horror of trite pop rhyming, and this is the exact opposite. Starman, David Bowie. I had to, and yes, it could have been any Bowie. I was born and brought up in Lulworth Cove, and I'm sorry to say I got to the age of 15 without knowing Bowie at all. But in those days, Lulworth was a small village, and we just used to hang out. And gather together. No age groups. It was just a big, sociable village community. We'd drag an old cut-up oil drum to the beach for barbecues. Yes, way back in the days before I myself had to propose a no-disposable barbecues rule for Dorset. We'd have a few drinks. The local who ran boat trips from the cove would take kids out on water skis and an inflatable donut. One night we were on the beach and this song was playing. I just thought, wow. This is actually amazing. I'm on my beach, my parents are over there, my friends are here, I have a drink in my hand, the stars are bright. It's not what the song is about, but when I hear it, it's just everything that was growing up in a small seaside village.
1: And if a giant wave was washing in and Laura could only save one disc? I'd save Joni, obviously. Laura's luxury item? A blanket. And no, not
0: for any of its incredibly practical uses, because that would break the rules. I try to think of something clever and unusual, but everything is better if you can tuck yourself in. Also, when I sleep, even on the hottest of nights, I have to have my feet tucked in, because monsters. And the book Laura would like to take with her? Good Omens by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. I mean, I have every single book Terry Pratchett wrote, but this is the best book ever. The relationship between Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett is really interesting, and the combination of the two of them in this book is pure magic. My ten-year-old asked me recently why I love Terry Pratchett, and he said because reading's a bit boring. So, I read him Johnny and the Dead, and now he gets it.
1: Sophie's sausages are the sizzle by Tracy Beardsley. Sophie Baker is a regular face at farmers' markets and rural shows across the region and she stands out. Not only because her homemade, award-winning sausages are delicious, but also because at just 26, she's one of the youngest local producers on the scene, and one of the very few females in the meat industry. The Advertising Standards Authority would agree Farm Girl Sausages lives up to its name. Sophie is most certainly a girl, and she runs her business from a small holding in Holt near Wimborne. On 15 acres, Sophie raises 150 chickens, from day-old chicks to slaughter. Her lamb is from Quarry Farm in Shaftesbury, and pork is sourced in her own village. She's just started selling whole roasted chickens and has a brilliant line in tasty burgers and barbecue food. All her products are gluten-free and contain only natural ingredients. She also offers delicious plant-based and vegan options, and the recipes are all her own. Herbs for her gorgeous sage and pepper sausages are grown in her own polytunnel, as are the tomatoes and basil for other great flavours. Apples from pork sausages are picked in her garden, and she's just started keeping bees for her new honey-flavoured products. Leaving school at 16, Sophie, a keen horsewoman, worked at breaking in horses and at a local meat factory. She explains, I had lots of ideas on how products could move forward from traditional to more trendy. I knew there was a growing market for gluten-free and rusk-free products, that people also wanted different flavour combinations and vegan options. When the factory closed, I thought, why not start up my own sausage-making business? It's no surprise that Sophie has entrepreneurial drive and vision. Her whole family are self-employed in businesses as diverse as selling boats, running a caravan park and maintaining farm machinery. Sophie says, I've always admired people like my mum, dad and brother. Who run their own small businesses. It's been part of my growing up and I've seen firsthand how much hard work it is. Her boyfriend, also self-employed, supports Sophie fully in the long hours she's working. Summer is a key time with food festivals and country shows every weekend, as well as her regular weekly stalls at Shaftesbury and Salisbury farmers markets. It's a seven-day working week. I make around 300 sausages for a market for festivals is more like a thousand. I'm up at dawn tending chickens, then making sausages and products from mid-morning onwards. Radio is my soulmate at the moment. Clearly passionate about her food provenance and her environmental footprint, Sophie is working towards the coveted organic certification from the Soil Association. I've got through the mountain of paperwork, she explains, and I'm now in what's called a conversion period with the land. I'm so excited, I know a lot of customers want organic products. My customers are my free market research. I offer samples on my stall and I get immediate feedback. She adds, I'm inspired by the producers. I meet at farmers markets. I have free business mentoring every week. Kenson's farm in Wiltshire has been organic since 2001. And I really admire their ethos. They encourage me to get onto social media to promote my products. And this has really helped grow my business. Sophie now produces videos and recipes for social media and customers can order products online and pick up directly from the farm. I love showing customers the chickens and my setup here so they can see exactly where their food is coming from. Sausage making workshops at her farm may be on the cards in the future. That's really selling the sizzle. And you can shop for Sophie's produce online at or OneWord.com. Politics Not the Nine O'Clock News, Simon Hoare MP. In a few short weeks I shall be serving under my fourth Prime Minister in seven years. Of itself that is quite a statement. Political stability has been something of a hallmark in the UK over the years, a steady as she goes approach. This got me wondering whether or not this is an exceptional period that proves the rule or a new set of rules which will govern and shape politics. Of course, there have been two seismic changes in the UK. The 2016 EU referendum was momentous by any definition. It would change how politics was done, alter business models and challenge personal political affiliations across the country. See Redwall election results of 2019 as first-hand proof. No sooner was that general election over, my party returned with an incredibly commanding majority and normal service resumed, than COVID hoved into view with all of the health and economic impacts that we know so well. As a result of both of these and other events, I cannot think of a time when politics has been less sure of itself and when the electorate has been in such a state of fluidity when it comes to its thinking. These twin challenges will continue for a while yet. As well as the hopefully one-off events mentioned above, there are other major influences on politics, one in particular which has permanently changed us. Not that long ago, we sourced our news and information from newspapers, radio and TV. The news was broadcast at around 1pm, 6pm and 10pm. The Today programme and Newsnight bookended the daily news menu. Not so now. Newspapers aren't news anymore. They are commentary pages on what happened yesterday, trying to add interpretive value to stuff you already know. And how do you know it? A 24-hour news cycle and social media feeding us with an unremitting stream of news and views as and when it happens, now rather than yesterday's news. So hungry for talking heads has this news hydra become that almost anyone can become an expert. Virtually everyone has the potential to secure Andy Warhol's 15 minutes of fame. Twitter, Facebook and others provide a hugely important outlet for commentary. Just reflect on how many times a day the BBC and others will read out or have on screen the tweet of a politician or opinion former. I still remain slightly staggered when on a few occasions I see a tweet I posted on an issue flash up on a TV screen. And social media is having an effect on how politics is done. It is a rolling opinion poll. One word wrong and a packer on you. One poor interview and your social media fair game for a cycle or two. And then, of course, we have to overlay the pernicious fake news or biased media narrative of the shameless populists and their acolytes. I don't know who to believe anymore is an increasing refrain. The challenge for politicians of all stripes is to answer that challenge to be serious in our endeavours, respectful of each other, and honest with the country. If this is achieved, then we can, I believe, deliver the political stability of which I spoke at the top of this column, notwithstanding the impact of major events and the ever-growing demand for news, comment and opinion. I think there is an element of political fatigue across the country. Serious government, for serious times, will restore our energy levels.
0: Whatever you do, don't look up by Ken Huggins of North Dorset Green Party. Surely there's no longer any doubt. We humans are both the cleverest and the stupidest species on Earth. The satirical film Don't Look Up portrays the absurdly suicidal responses of politicians, major industry and the media to news that an asteroid will shortly destroy the Earth. It would be funny if it didn't so accurately portray our current world. It's not a subtle film, but the time for subtlety has passed. For decades, scientists have patiently reported the disastrous consequences of our fossil fuel addiction, but they've been repeatedly undermined by greedy, dishonest decision makers. Little wonder many are now taking direct action and risking prison to get the crisis taken seriously. Politicians lie about the seriousness of the situation and avoid telling the truth for fear of losing votes. Polluting industries Protect their massive profits by funding climate denial stories and greenwashing their activities to appear to be taking action. Watch the BBC series Big Oil vs the World for proof of the cover-up. And finally, corrupt media persist with climate denial. Some of it subtle, like coverage of the recent record-breaking heatwave showing happy crowds on a beach. It's only nice sunny weather. Failure to take adequate action is resulting in more extreme heat waves, wildfires, droughts and flooding around the world. And it's just the beginning. It will get worse. How much worse will depend on what we do now. In 12 years of government, the Tories have scrapped zero-carbon building regulations, pulled the plug on railway electrification, undermined the solar panel and onshore wind industries, encouraged fracking subsidised fossil fuel production etc etc none of dorset's tory mps attended the recent emergency climate briefing given to parliament by the government's chief scientific adviser. we are being failed disastrously and will pay a high price unless we take action
1: now push me pull you and magic money fruit mike chapman for the north dorset liberal democrats What is happening to our democracy? The Australian trade deal has been formalised without any democratic scrutiny of any kind, not a single parliamentary vote. It's even worse when you realise it is likely to form a template for other such deals. Britons may gain as consumers and a few exporters and service companies may benefit, but most of us are likely to be exposed to an increase in cost-driven, lower standard competition as a result especially in the agricultural world, the level playing field of the EU single market has gone. That the Brexit wonderland was voted in by a majority of about 2.7% of the electorate is bad enough, but now we're about to witness a lurch to the right due to just 0.3% of the electorate, the 150,000 or so Conservative Party membership. This may lead to a lurch to the left in a subsequent general election if the polls are anywhere near correct push-me-pull-you politics, as always. We ought to know better by now. We ought to drive for a better consensus and be led by people with real skill and understanding, rather than dogmatic, career-driven professional politicians. Still, not to worry. We are told that somewhere out there a magic tree is bending under the weight of luscious money fruit, ready for picking as early as September. It will then be fertilized with loads more tax-free magic money, which apparently won't even attract higher interest rates. What a difference a few years make. My first mortgage was up around the 15% interest mark. There was just no money for anything else much. Apparently though, economic fundamentals don't apply these days if you wish hard enough. Mind you, we may all need a bank loan, soon, just to pay the energy bills. And there's the rub. If all it takes to re-budget your household is an adjustment here or there, then fine, you carry on. The cry from the streets, from the working majority and from the vulnerable, however, is that with everything else going up sharply, nothing coming down and the fuel bills doubling, maybe tripling come January, ends cannot, cannot be met, inevitably leading to disequilibrium, debt and a great deal of unhappiness here in rural Dorset as much as anywhere we want to listen to local hopes, fears, gripes and groans, but also to visions and ideas. We want to find that common ground and a forward view that everyone can get behind.
0: It's our Drop in the Ocean by North Dorset Labour's Pat Osborne. This month I'd like to take the opportunity to talk about some of the work being done by Blandford Town Council's Climate and Biodiversity Working Group to promote marine citizenship and community custodianship of the River Star. The star has a very special place in the hearts of Blandfordians, connecting us to one another through a shared sense of place, belonging and identity. The star also connects us to the wildlife and ecosystems that it supports, providing generations with the opportunity to live alongside otters, swans, kingfishers and other creatures thriving in their natural habitats. It links us to all the other communities that have built up along the banks on its journey from Starhead to the sea. And through connecting us to the sea, the star connects us to the rest of the world. At this month's Town Council meeting, I proposed a motion for the ocean, which was developed for Blandford Town Council in partnership with marine biologist Dr Pamela Buchan. The motion recognises that we need ocean recovery to meet our net zero carbon targets. And we need net zero carbon to recover our ocean it also recognises that inland communities like Blandford have an important role to play in ocean recovery by acting as the custodians of the rivers, waterways, and tributaries that run through our towns and villages on their way to the sea. As a town council, our powers are clearly limited, but the motion recognises that there are things that we can and should do to contribute to ocean recovery. These are sentiments echoed throughout Blandford by community groups like Blandford War on Waste. The fact that the motion was passed unanimously by the Council sends a clear statement of intent. This may be a drop in the ocean, but it's our drop, and we're going to look after it.
1: History. The Legend of the Quiet Woman by Roger Guttridge. Shh. Her remains are buried in Sherborne Abbey, but St Juthware really belongs to the West Dorset village of Holstock, where she's euphemistically remembered as the Quiet Woman. She has a guesthouse, a former village pub, and a former rectory named after her, while a chapel in St Mary's Church is dedicated to her memory. There's even a street called St Juthware Close. But the reason for her fame and quietude is all too macabre. Juthware, sometimes written as Juthwara, or the modernised Judith, was born in the late 6th century AD, when Holstock apparently lay on a route regularly trodden by Christian pilgrims. The Catholic Readings website described her as a British virgin from Dorset and a very religious girl who prayed and fasted often and gave alms to the poor. But for some reason, she also fell out of favour with her stepmother. The story goes that after her father's death, the heartbroken Juthwer complained of chest pains, her jealous stepmother suggested that applying two soft cheeses to her breasts would alleviate the symptoms. Said stepmother then told her own son, Barna, that his pious half-sister had fallen pregnant, possibly to a passing pilgrim that she had befriended. It wasn't true, but the short-tempered Barna interpreted the soft cheese on Juthwa's undergarments as evidence of breast milk. He flew into a rage and cut off his sister's head with a sword. The incident happened at a spot to the north of Holstock that is still known as Judith Field. According to the legend, a spring instantly appeared at the spot, and Juthwer's decapitated body picked up her head, walked to the Saxon church, and placed it on the altar. In the reign of the Saxon king Ethelred the Unready (978-1016), her remains were moved to Sherborne Abbey, where she is depicted on the great east window as well as in the Sherborne missal. Until the dissolution of the monasteries in the reign of Henry VIII, St juthwere's tomb was a place of pilgrimage where miracles were said to have occurred. According to Catholic readings, St Juthwaer's feast day is the 1st of July, but others suggest it's the 13th of July, 18th of November, and 23rd of December. Take your pick. The saint is also remembered in Cornwall and Brittany. Her sisters are said to have fled to Cornwall in fear of their brother, One of them was also canonised and is known as St Sidwell. In Brittany, tradition has it that Barna repented, became a monk and founded the Monastery of Gerber, later renamed Le Relic. The Holstock Guest House, known as Quiet Woman House, was formerly a pub called The Quiet Woman, which closed in the 1990s. The building dates from around 1700 and was originally single-storey with a thatched roof. An upper story was later added and Thatch gave way to Slate. Thomas Hardy fans will recall the Quiet Woman pub in The Return of the Native. Hardy himself said his Quiet Woman was an amalgamation of the former Duck Inn at Norris Mill, Puddletown, the old red lion at Wimforth, and the sign from an inn some miles to the northwest of the present scene. Holstock certainly fits that geographical description. The Silent Woman at Cold Harbour, near Wareham, on the other hand, was known as the Angel Inn until 1930, fifty years after the publication of Hardy's novel. The postcard bearing the 1910 picture of the Quiet Woman was written by a kinder big brother to his sister Whippet in Blackheath, south east London. He told her, This will give you some idea of the type of village I have to hunt out. Miles from anywhere. You can't see the sign very well, but her gory head is tucked under her arm. A good example of the brand of wit I have to put up with down here.
0: And that's all in this second August episode of the BV Magazine podcast. Join us again in a week's time for more stories of Dorset life. And until then, it's bye-bye from me, Jenny Devitt.
1: And it's goodbye from me, Terry Bennett.